0: Hello, Film Freaks, and welcome to A Very Good Year, a new podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us in detail about that year and only that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hall. Our guest today, um, <laughs> this one means a lot, folks, really, I, you know, like a lot of people my age and younger, um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 was a really big deal to me. Um, as a college-age kid, it really informed both you know, my sense of humor and how I look at movies, both good and bad. And our guest was right there in the thick of that early golden period. He was not only a writer for the show from its second through sixth seasons, but he appeared in the immortal role of the bumbling but lovable henchman TV's Frank – and in the years since, he's written and appeared in numerous television shows and podcasts, he's written several books, and has continued riffing movies first as a part of Cinematic Titanic, and currently with The Mads are back with fellow MST3K alum, Trace Bullew. Here he is, folks, the one, the only, Frank Conniff. Hi,
1: Frank. Hey, hi. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Thank you so much
0: for being great, here. Great to be here. It's really, it's really a treat uh, to have you on. You know, I, I when I was telling basically anyone I know that you were coming on the show. Um, one of my friends said, well, I'd be really interested to hear his top five, to hear, you know, is he going to pick uh, good movies or bad movies? And <laughs> I said, I would imagine Frank probably relishes the opportunity to talk about good movies I love for what uh, yeah.
1: I love talking about uh, good movies uh, way more than I like talking about bad movies. Uh, bad movies, and, and I enjoy um, uh, riffing, movies um uh, but actually my my uh opinion of the so-called bad movies has evolved over the years and and uh most of the movies that uh we did on mystery science theater not all of them but most of them and the ones that trace and i do now on the Mads are back I, I have affection for you know uh, sure and uh i don't i i think when i started on the show I kind of looked at a lot of them as like, oh, really bad movies, and let's let's take them down and every, and and I, I'm not. I, that's not my attitude anymore. I'm like, you know, they they did the the hard work of making the movie. God bless them, and we're now we're right. going to add some some another level to that with our riffs, and we're all together here to make some entertainment.
0: Yeah, you know, I've I've found myself mellowing as well on the subject. And I wonder, you know, how much of that is just, you know, getting older and sort of uh, less bitter, Um, Mm -hmm. but also how much of it I think is that, you know, sort of mainstream entertainment and really so much of contemporary movie making is so sort of uh, dull and lifeless and pro forma. And, and even these, you know, quote unquote, bad movies, a lot of times at least have like, an energy to them and an individual voice to them. Yeah, and like a sense, a sense that someone made them, even if that someone should have been in a mental hospital. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's there, there, they're, Um, a lot of them are, are treasures in their own way. And, and the, the, the obvious most famous example is Ed Wood, who, whose movies are genuinely beloved. Now we all acknowledge yeah. the, the incompetence and, Yep. the cheap sets and all that, but 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 they are beloved and deservedly so because what what he did with his life making those films was something very special.
0: It is the very definition of a singular artistic yes, vision. Yes, yeah, and um. and, and, and uh, we're not
1: talking about the fifties, but uh, you know, Glenn or Glenda, I would I would rank as one of the great genuinely great movies of the nineteen fifties, way ahead of its time in terms of its yeah. It's it's compassion uh, and its attitudes. So yeah, yes, that's the a, a film that Trace and I have riffed a lot, and we both we we've seen it like fifty times, and we we never get sick of it. That's great.
0: Well, you know, and and the thing that I think people sort of should appreciate too, in understanding this this line of thinking in 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 your sort of evolution as a film goer is that really you saw. All of the garbage uh-huh. when you guys were, were we're doing that show that you you know you write about it in your book which we're gonna plug uh-huh. uh, 25 mystery science theater 3000 films that changed my life in no way whatsoever <laughs> that you know you you not only were a writer on the show mm-hmm. and TV's Frank right but you had a a less lesser known less acknowledged third job for the show for the listeners who don't know what what was that my job
1: was was to was to screen the films and and look for the films and and one day out of our production schedule i would spend the whole day just uh sitting in my little cubicle uh putting uh vhs tapes in and and watching you know from boxes of uh of movies that uh, HBO downtown productions, which was the associated with our show sent us, uh, you know, from various companies like something weird video and, um, uh, you know, some, some, the other ones you would all know. And, um, and I just looked through the, I'd be the first one to screen them and and look at them. And, And I was given that job because, uh, uh, everyone else on the staff had another skill besides (laughs) watching, watching TV and being, and being funny, uh, you know, Joel and Joel and Trace like design the show and build and help build the sets and conceptualize things. Mike Nelson wrote music, Kevin Murphy, for the first season, he was the film editor on the show. In addition to the writer, Um, they all had uh, other skills, except for me. My only skill was watching, (laughs) watching television. So that that was my assignment.
0: Vital to the organization,
1: yeah. I have to
2: say. Yes, vital. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But you
0: end up, but we end up in a situation where it's like Frank saw the movies that weren't good enough <laughs> for there, mystery and, science and, theater, and, and people
1: are shocked. I get the question all the time: Were there movies that were so bad you couldn't do them? And and, and that was most of them. Most, most the, yeah. What, what you saw in mystery science
0: theater was the cream of the crop. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. All right. So, let's talk about the year that you have chosen to to talk about tonight and why you landed uh where you did on it. Uh
1: I um I picked uh 1964 um because um for one thing um I was I was there and and that is due to the fact that uh what's the term? I'm fucking old. I was alive. <laughs> I was 8 years old and it's kind of like the first um, you know, memories or consciousness of where I can remember sure watching yeah. movies. The, the movie that came out the year before that 1963, it's a mad, 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 mad world was, a, had a huge impact on me. And, mm. and so by 1964, I was, um, uh, you know, I can remember, I can remember we're going to theaters to see movies and I can remember the impact that they had on me at the time. Um, yeah and all but one of the films i picked tonight i saw when they were released and 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 when they came out and um, so so that was like a big reason that year like had had movies that were really incredibly impactful on me but then when you step back and you look at it from a historical perspective a, a lot of the films i picked absolutely had a gigantic impact on, uh, on movies and on the consciousness of moviegoers and on the sensibilities and on changing the way people thought about things. Um, I, 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 I kind of feel like 1964, for me, was, was the start of uh, New Hollywood. You know, people talk a lot mm. about, about 67, about Bonnie and Clyde, and then 69, Easy Rider, and a lot sure. of the, the films that came out in that period which were absolutely impactful, but, but but I feel like it all started in it for me at least in 1964 was when um, movies uh, and, and most of the ones I picked uh, were, were mainstream um, Hollywood movies, studio movies, yeah, studio movies, and they had a completely different sensibility than, than what came before them and then influenced everything that came after them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think, I think you're right. And, and we're gonna, uh, let's talk about that uh, in detail. But before we do, you gave us a very nice transition by mentioning sort of what, what a, uh, what a big year it was um, in terms of just shakeups and switches. Uh, yeah. And what was happening outside of the, uh, I assume, ornate movie plexes, uh, mm-hmm. movie houses, where you saw these films originally. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And here's some headlines.
2: What you just said really sort of prefigures the what I'm saying with headlines is sort of, you know, we feel like when we sort of think about the 60s and, and you know, all the, the sort of problem and the troubles the U.S. Troubles of the 60s, you know, it really is much later in the decade. But if you look at the news in 1964, bleak, heavy, heavy stuff across yeah. the board. Uh, Ooh, January yeah. 1, the shitty Brits get out of both Rhodesia and Malawi. And so there's a little bit less colonialism in the world. So let's have a very good year round of applause for that. I uh, always Whoa. like to support less colonialism. Yeah. Uh, U.S. Surgeon General Luther Terry reported that smoking may be bad for your health, which is the first time the U.S. government ever said such a thing. Uh, Wait, I'm sorry,
0: what? Fake news. <laughs> Wait, what? Hey, smoking may what?
2: <laughs> Turns out uh, it's not not optimal for your, your lung Shit. capacity.
0: I got it. Fuck, I got to do some Google. That Go killed, ahead. That, that killed I'm going to do my own research on that.
1: That 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 ruined the opportunity for me as an 8-year-old to watch nothing but cigarette commercials on TV <laughs> all day and all night and and to get um green stamp coupons which were Oh huge my first. god. They came on the back of cigarette boxes and uh you know. So that was the beginning of the end of all that wonderful stuff. Man. That was very
2: inconsiderate Absolutely. of them. I'd never heard that perspective. Yes. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, We passed the 24th Amendment to the Constitution prohibiting poll taxes. So when you hear people say the U.S. has only had a democracy since the mid-60s, that's what we're talking about.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Why don't you like to be called Clay anymore? No, Clay was not my name. Once we follow the belief, hear the, understand the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and come into knowledge of ourselves, then we want to be called after names of our people, which are names to fit us black people. And Clay was a white man's name. It was a slave name. And I'm no longer Clay. I'm no longer a slave. So now I'm Muhammad Ali.
2: In February, boxer Cassius Clay beat Sonny Liston to become heavyweight champion of the world. And
0: in March, he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. And that was no longer a sports story. Wow. I know this is not the right fight, Mike, but I will not miss an opportunity on this show to say... (laughs) Ali Boumae, Ali Boumae, and I'll I'll just
1: uh, uh, thank thank you to give you some uh, perspective. You are there. Perspective is yeah. I remember li- I remember listening to the Cassius Clay, Sonny Liston. Oh shit. Fight on the radio, yeah, and it was uh, maybe my first um, exposure to what would be considered a gigantic upset because nobody thought. And I remember right. this. Nobody thought Cassius Clay was going to win that fight, and uh, yeah. and and then he won it. And, and I have a very uh, specific memory of listening to that on the on the radio, and uh, and everyone being shocked. Yeah,
2: Radio Caroline started in the UK, which is a pirate radio station that was set up offshore so they could play music the kids like. Because uh, mm-hmm. you know, radio was still very hazard. much dominated by BBC, and and they weren't really doing much with. There was a little band called the Beatles, which we're gonna was <laughs> gonna come up again later. Uh, they were, you know, and, and when you couldn't get the Beatles on the radio, it was sort of a, a no brainer to to start a pirate radio situation. And there ended up being several of them, but Radio Caroline is is sort of the first and best known. And there are a lot of great documentary podcasts and there's a lot of different versions of the telling of the radio caroline story uh that many of them are excellent that's a good story worth checking out yeah
1: amazing first the known facts james cheney andrew goodman and michael schwerner went to mississippi to help register negroes as voters it had been stressed at the training school they had just completed that their purpose was not to stage sit-ins marches or demonstrations It had also been stressed that the federal government could offer them little protection.
2: Henry Hezekiah Lee and Charles Eddie Moore were murdered by the Ku Klux Klan. And we know that because their bodies were found while investigators were actually looking for three other gentlemen who were murdered by the Klan. James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner, three gentlemen who were murdered for participating in Freedom Summer. Jesus. 41 years later, Edgar Ray Killen was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison for the murders. He was the only one, but he did eventually die in prison. So that's good.
1: Ooh, ooh. Yay! Fuck that
2: guy. A lot of good docs on Freedom Summer. A lot of good ways to find out about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. 12
2: uh, young men in New York City burned their draft cards as far as i know that's the first time that particular protest Ooh. went down and again 64 like i feel like yeah. that's something we think about 68 yeah. you know right, like you yeah. we were talking about with the movies but yeah that was documented because then they made yeah. sure of it they made sure people <laughs> took their pictures
1: I, I think the thing is is that the 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 media like things happen and then it takes the media a while to pick up on things that are yep. happening before Man. the before the rest of us find out about it my fellow americans As President and
2: Commander-in-Chief, it is my duty to the American people to report that renewed hostile actions against United States ships on the high seas in the Gulf of Tonkin have today required me to order the military forces of the United States to take action in reply the Gulf of Tonkin resolution was passed giving Lyndon Johnson freedom to open up the war in Vietnam. How'd that go? (laughs) Yeah.
1: I believe there was, um, uh, one Senator who voted against it. Uh, Wayne, Wayne Morris. I I might be getting that, that, that wrong, but, uh, you know, it was a completely bullshit thing. And, you know, the type of thing that we repeated has been repeated throughout history where, Oh, yeah. But not a lot of courage
2: happens from the politician. Johnson went on to beat the pants off of Barry Goldwater in the presidential election of 64, a terrible result that only could have been worse if it went the other way. Yeah. Uh what's the lacare line about the cold war, right? The right side lost but the wrong side won. Very <laughs> well, sort of that. Yeah. Uh, and the second Vatican Council was in 64, and I'm not going to get into all of that now either, but if you want to know on a granular level why Mel Gibson sucks, go to your favorite <laughs> search engine, search Mel Gibson's dad, comma second Vatican Council and <laughs> settle in. and
1: and on a personal note that is why in my catholic household uh we didn't have to uh, eat fish on fridays anymore anymore. because then that was like a rule that was a rule don't eat meat on friday then suddenly one day hey you know what not a rule anymore go
0: ahead have a burger have a nice burger
1: it was part of, of my extensive uh Training to one day become a lapsed Catholic, which I became. <laughs> Congratulations! Well, I mean, if the that. fish thing is bullshit, where does yeah. it stop, right? <laughs> yes. Isn't and plus, right? what we had to, you know, it wasn't—it was fish fish sticks. You know, it wasn't wasn't great food. <laughs> At least in our household, you know.
0: Yeah, you weren't having like salmon fillets or anything. no, no. <laughs> uh, I, I love
1: fish now, but back then, you know, the culinary. Um, Uh, choices of Americans in those days was, was much less than it is now. Yeah. There are rumors around that this is Britain's revenge for the Boston tea party. 3000 screaming teenagers are at New York's Kennedy airport to greet, you guessed it, the Beatles.
2: This rock and roll group has taken over as the kingpins of musical appreciation among the younger elements. Well, I think like part of the reason I think maybe none of us think about all of the heavy politics in this year is another big thing. The first US pressings of Beatles records came. There out.
0: you go. Exactly. And so,
2: like, to me, when I think 1964, like, that's, I want to hold your hand. Like, I'm sort of that to me i think the pop culture elements of 64 jump out a lot more
1: yeah oh yeah yeah
0: and i think that's key because you know even like a lot of the beatles documentaries or the sort of studies of pop music will pinpoint just the fact that like the beatles made everybody feel better after jfk died yeah. but like when you run down all this other shit that happened between when jfk died and when you know they landed at 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 kent the newly christened kennedy airport um yeah i think america was was ready to, to to shake their their mop tops and say woo Ooh. and have a good time yeah absolutely. at one point uh, in 64 the all like five of the yeah. top
2: five songs in the united states of america were, were all beatles songs they were five for right? five that week yes five for five but even yeah. that had a political edge john lennon used a press conference in florida to announce that the beatles weren't going to play any segregated venues so that's right. yeah,
1: good for him all yeah. right john right? lennon all right. I feel like that gets left out of that story. He also said that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. In that Yes.
0: Youth, that was youth, a couple of years
1: later. And, and, you know, people objected, but I, Jesus had nothing on the charts at that point. So. You're right. <laughs> Much less the top five. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. a record.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, the Moog synthesizer was introduced by Robert Moog in 1964. Peace be upon him.
1: Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. That's, that's gigantic.
2: Yeah. I had no yeah. idea. That's good news uh elizabeth taylor wed richard burton for the first time How, how'd that turn out not as bad as the vietnam war but not a whole lot better fair, fair.
1: <laughs> their marriage was better than most of their movies i have to say <laughs> there <laughs> you go
2: <laughs> lots of famous people were born in 64 nicholas cage chris farley todd field wanda sykes david cross
0: pretty good marquis
2: tim blake nelson don Cheadle, guillermo del toro
0: that's a dream blunt rotation right there. I mean. Biz, Tim, Don, and Guillermo. I'll, I'll, I'll pass the blunt. I feel like
2: down. some people probably have. Uh, Bridget Fonda, Juliette Binoche, Sandra Bullock, Debbie Mazar. Mazar? That's got to be Mazar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Janine Garofalo, Monica Bellucci, Marissa Tomei. So basically, famous people.
0: everyone I had a crush on in the 90s was born in 1964, <laughs> apparently. Yep. Yeah,
2: yep. they were all around 30. You like yep. ladies that are around 30. There you mm. go. The Mets played their first ever game at Shea Stadium in details that will surprise no one. They lost, and the first home <laughs> run hit in their new park was by Willie Stargell of the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm not even a yeah.
0: sports guy, and I know that that's true. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I don't follow sports either, but I, but the the shittiness of the Mets is yeah, yeah.
0: transcends all. Mm. You know, it's mm. just it's it's just in the pop culture firmament at this point. Yes,
2: I know Mets fans who are like, but
1: <laughs> but they but they know. Yeah. They they won the, they they won the World Series in 69. Which point hey. point. Right, they yes. they were
2: on their way, but yeah. you yes. know. Their stadium had a, some good had some good cheers later. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was in the classic era in golf. Arnold Arnold Palmer won the Masters, Bobby Nichols won the PGA Championship and Jack Nicklaus was the tour money leader. So that's you know classic era. I've stuff. never
1: heard the the word classic era and golf used in the same before.
2: <laughs> really? All right. All right. Uh, that's how I think of it. Like those are the, those are all the guys who are retired by the time Tiger showed up to start breaking yes. all right, the records, right? right? Yes. Uh, Maple Leafs beat the Red Wings to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, John Pullman won the world world Snooker Championships in the middle of his 11 year career defining run.
0: Hang on I want I want Mike look, this is shameless this consistent pandering for listeners with the Snooker championship news items <laughs> your the payoffs you're taking from Big Snooker I I'm not gonna silently support it anymore. I'm calling Just you out with my bum. whole chest on the air <laughs> enough pandering to the snooker crowd. Carry on. You
2: got to think about it. They have disposable income. If you, you, in order to have a snooker table, you already have to have a pool <laughs> table, which means like you've got a, a significant basement. It's
0: a lot of space. Know. A lot. Of, there's it's, a big rec room. Yeah,
2: I'm working a long game here, Jason. There was
1: a movie version, uh, snooker version of the hustler called the Snookerer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Frank.
1: <laughs> That's what you're here for, my friend. Uh,
2: <laughs> there were both Summer and Winter Olympics in 1964, but the USSR won most of the medals, so we don't talk about that. And there was not a World Cup in 1964, so thank God people were making movies. That's Headlines. Yep.
0: And there we go. Wow. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for walking us through those. A lot going on in 64, but what else was going on in 64 was little little Frankie Conniff um, mm-hmm. w- in his short pants. Was going off to uh, to the multiplex or not the multiplex? I'm no, sorry, to no the movie multiplexes
1: palace, back then. Uh, to the movie
0: palace. Were you in? Were you in New York at the time? Was I was were? in?
1: Uh, I was in Westchester, which is outside okay. of New York City. New, yeah. New
0: Rochelle, New Rochelle, which fans of the Dick Van Dyke Show will that's be right. That's where the Petries live. Uh, yeah. All right, so. Uh, So Frank has been kind enough to put together a a ranked. I know all you all you rank ranked list queens out there will be pleased to hear this. A ranked list of uh, his five favorite movies from 1964. So here we go. Frank Conniff, what is your number five movie of
1: 1964? Um, Well, the number five is the one out of out of the five that I picked that. I didn't see when it came out. Very few people saw it when it yeah. came out. It was a completely underground movie. Uh, I think it had one or two showings in New York. Uh, it was it was made for a few thousand dollars by uh, Robert Downey Sr., um, who went on to do um, Greaser's Palace and and Putney Swope and and some films that really did make an impact and pound. Um, Uh, But this movie was a completely underground movie, and it's called uh, Babo 73.
2: If I wanted someone to moralize with me, I wouldn't have come across no ocean to visit with you. My wife does a much better job of moralizing than you do. The fact remains, if you don't give me those 12 H-bombs, I'm going to drain your gold for you. That's right, man. 12 H-bombs or I drain your gold for.
1: And this one, out of all of them, too, I, I only first saw it for the first time, like just recently. It happened to be on Turner Classic Movies. They, oh, you know, shit. They do their, their their TCM Underground. That's thing. right,
0: Millie, friend of the show, Millie Decherico. Oh DeGerico. great! great. Yeah, shout
1: out to her. Thank yeah. you so much. But uh, um, they did a they they did Robert Downey Sr. films uh, that mm-hmm. night, and they had Putney Swope, and, and they had this one, which I'd never seen. I wasn't even really Planning on watching it necessarily, but I but I, I happened to to watch it, and it kind of blew my mind. I mean, I I was really amazed by how inspired I was by it. Uh, it was like nothing I've ever seen before, um, and it just seemed to me to be the epitome of an era uh, in the '60s of people, not just in filmmaking but in all the arts, just like throwing away every convention in the world and just completely letting their subconsciousness uh, come to the fore and, and, and make whatever came into their head and then going, you know, coming up with an idea and then going out and making it. It was, it was kind of the beginning of that spirit of, of of independent filmmaking. Uh, uh, You know, and, you know, Andy Warhol was, you know, filming the empire state building and filming people sleeping. This is kind of like, the, the entertaining version of that, I, I think, you know, um, because because that's the thing, too, is I don't really I, I, I'm never uh, and the movie is like less than an hour long, you know, and yeah. uh, I never really completely follow what's going on when I'm watching it, but I'm laughing <laughs> a lot. It's very yeah. funny. And, um, uh, and and I just loved it and it just came at me completely unexpected and i was very inspired by it i i watched it and i said i want to think this way when i write when i write you know i just want to write with complete abandon and um and and hopefully also be funny and entertaining in the process and that's what robert downey uh senior a prince achieved in this film yes that's how he's uh he's um uh, listed and you know please don't ask me to tell you what the plot of the film is no God no
0: God no, I, I I mean, have no... with three three educated men right here I don't think a one of us could do that yes and um, but uh, I, I think uh, you know one of the best um,
1: kind of reactions to it that I saw because I after I watched it I looked for for stuff on the internet about it and uh, I saw a little film of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson who's a huge Robert Big Downey time. senior fan. And, and, and by the way, there's a really, I would recommend to people, there's a really good documentary on Netflix right now about yep. Robert, called senior that yep. his son, Robert Downey, who you may have heard of, yeah. uh, um, uh, participated in it. And, and, it's really a love, lovely film. And, um, and in the, in the movie, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Says, um, you know, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is really the the son my dad would have preferred to have had. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, that's a whole other documentary they could line. do. That's yeah. like a whole other. But, yeah. but but anyway, his. I saw a little clip of him and him and Robert Downey Sr. watching Bobo seventy three and and this is Robert Downey. Uh, this is Paul Thomas Anderson who loves Robert Downey Sr. loves this movie. The first thing he says when it's over, he turns to Robert Downey Sr. and says, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> <laughs> That's like the perfect because you don't know what the fuck it is. You just watch. Yeah. You just know that you, that it was really fun and yeah. um, and 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 really entertaining. And also, uh, uh, Taylor Mead is in it, who who apparently was like a big guy in the Andy Warhol films and yeah. uh, the underground. Um, art scene of New York of uh, that time, and, and he's hilarious in it. Like, yeah. I yeah. kind of feel like he could have gone to uh, L.A. and and done guest spots on Get Smart or something. You know, he's yeah. he's like he's really funny. And the music is by uh, Tom O'Horgan, who went on to direct Hair on Broadway oh, and, and okay. directed the original Broadway production of Lenny. It was a huge oh, deal in in theater of that time. So. So it really, there's a lot of significant people involved with it, and um, um, and and I, I just am really happy that I got to see it. A lot of times, music and movies complements a scene.
2: Right. The music in this movie adds to it in some way that is not uh, obviously a compliment, but is definitely <laughs> adding to it. Well, it, it's yeah.
1: the, the, what the qualities of this movie have nothing to do with the what you expect from <laughs> and, and one of the things about it that I feel like kind of uh that I kind of like too is that the the sync recording isn't that great and and in right. some ways it, <laughs> it, 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 and, and some of Robert Downey's other films from that era too kind of remind me of of mystery science theater films you know like sure. like really low budget with with very uh limited technical expertise um uh, but but going and making them anyway and in his case, since he was such a funny kind of visionary um, um, f- filmmaker, you know, yeah. it, 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 comes off really well, but uh, yeah. I, I would recommend that, that people like seek out Robert Downey senior's work and, and, and check it out.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I liked that documentary quite a bit as well. Uh, and it was, and after I saw it, I had that moment where I was like, you know, I bought this little criterion set of, you know, like five of his movies that came out a few years ago And, uh, and so I was glad to finally have an excuse, uh, with this recommendation to seek it out. I will not go off into a whole jag about how, if Netflix is going to run that documentary, they should like do the right thing by film culture and run a bunch of his fucking movies alongside it. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let that slide. But you can, Um, but I,
1: I watched, uh, uh, seventy three over the weekend for the second time. I, I found it on the Criterion Channel. Beautiful. So, See, they're yeah.
0: they they know yeah. how you maintain a art form. Right. The thing that was really striking to me about it, knowing very little going into it, was it felt like one of the few films I've seen that really captured the spirit of you know what they called at the time the sick comedian. Yes. Like it feels like a compliment to like Lenny Bruce albums and Mort Saul's act yeah. and you know that strain of of subversive you know, sort of coffee house time
2: for my (laughs) PMBM
0: that like subversive kind of coffee house comedy. That's
1: exactly right. And it, and it was still uh, um, uh, underground at the time uh, that, that, um, but as from two of the other films we're going to talk about soon, uh, part of that discussion is, is how that's where that sensibility made its way into the mainstream in the Robert Downey senior film. It's still, Uh, underground because the movie itself is underground and was barely seen, you know, but I, but I guess he got a grant off of it and it it enabled him to like keep making movies. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, but yeah, that whole, and and that's what people, the term you just used is that's how that comedy was described by the mainstream press, by time magazine, sick humor, Mort Saul, um, Lenny Bruce, um, Terry Southern, whose name will come up again um yeah. uh Jules Pfeiffer Bruce J yeah. Friedman you know like there was that whole uh sensibility which ended up you know seeping its way into the mainstream and now that sensibility is is everywhere now yeah. in comedy and in culture but yeah. back then it was it was very underground yep
0: very much so all right excellent pick all right number four for 1964. Frank what do you got
1: Um, Well, this one I picked um, uh, mainly because uh, I saw it when it came out, and and I loved it so much, and it blew my mind, um, uh, is Mary Poppins.
2: Fire! Light up the sky.
1: It's the entertainment thrill of a lifetime. Ray Poppins, Walt Disney's newest and most delightfully
2: entertaining motion picture.
1: Which, which I think was as far as Walt Disney, uh, live action, uh, was the apex of Walt Disney was like kind of the, the, the accumulation of his life's work. Cause he died like a year later or so a, after the film. And, and, and I think it just, it set the standard, you know, we live now in a, in a period of Lots of family films, lots of, uh, you know, sure. um, uh, musicals and, and, and things like that, um, um, that are wholesome or whatever. And, 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 and that movie just is, is like, to me still like what everyone should aspire to, 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 to try to be as great as that movie is, you know, and, and it had, um. Uh, so many elements in it that as a kid, uh, you know, I was already a Dick Van Dyke fan when I saw it. And, and, and you know what, don't come to me about his Cockney accent. I don't give a (laughs) shit. Everybody everybody trashes his Cockney accent. I realize it's not accurate. It's all wrong. I don't give a shit, you know, I'm (laughs) I'm fine with it. Uh, And, and um, you know, and Ed Wynn is really funny in it and and it has all these great uh, character um, actors and, and great um, songs by the Sherman brothers that are very unique mm-hmm. in their own way. And they, they were very unique um, an original songwriting team. There's another great documentary about them, by the way, uh, yeah. that, that there's that one of their sons, Jeffrey Sherman, who I've met, who's a great guy uh, made. Um, and uh, you know, so, so, The other films that are coming on this list, I feel were in terms of impacts on the culture, uh, I think were a bigger deal. But this movie is just one of the first things I thought of when I thought of 1964, because I saw it in 1964. um, And uh, it just had a big impact on me um, uh, as a kid, which, you know, I was I was the target audience for it. And and I loved it. Um, Yeah.
0: No, that's that's all that I would add to that is that, and I know this is sort of jive to 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 always fall back to this, but like my kids are six and nine, they love Mary Poppins. Like they yeah. love it like a movie that came out this year. Like exactly. they will throw it on, yeah. they will sing along, they will. They, they were excited about the terrible sequel when it came out. Ooh. Like they, <laughs> I didn't, I still
1: haven't seen the sequel.
0: Do you save yourself the pain? Uh-huh. Save yourself the pain, Frank. Uh-huh. Um, but it yeah, it's just like it works. There is something. Yeah. just on on a on a an elemental uh instinctual level that kids just connect to that because it's yeah. it's full of all these themes about you know about parents who care about you and about you know people who look out for you and it's got that sort of that poignancy that's that's there but that's never overwrought
1: it's never overwrought um, yeah because because for one thing i will say mary poppins herself is kind of a nasty piece of work oh she's you kind know. of a dick yeah yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh the movie, in terms of like a character arc, the movie is really about the dad. Yeah, that's that's the story of the movie. Is the dad is his transformation from uh, the stiff upper lip banker guy who Mary Poppins helps to you know find his uh, true soul or whatever. And by the end of the movie, he's singing "Let's Go Fly a Kite" and um, uh, you know. And and I love I love the moment when he gets fired at the bank and he. And, and it's so serious. And they ask him, do you have anything to say? And, and he says, "Super califragilistic He <laughs> starts laughing. Like, I just love that moment, you know? Yeah. And, and it's kind of that theme, which a lot of, a lot of movies and kids movies have tried to have done that same thing, theme of the person who's, who finds his true inner child or whatever and, and becomes a better person for it. That movie, uh, Mary Poppins, I think did it better than a lot of the movies that came in its way. Yeah,
0: yeah, I would agree. I would agree. All right, Frank Conniff, what is your number three movie of the year of our Lord, nineteen sixty-four?
1: Um, well, my number three movie is another film that I that I saw um, in its first release. Completely blew my mind, and it, it's what set me on my path. To become the secret agent that I wanted to be when I, <laughs> when I was eight, which is Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Goldfinger, a triumphant thrill making cinema entertainment. The man with the
2: mind. A three time and... winner for Fleming's Secret Agent 007. Who are you? My name is Pussy
1: Galore. Which I think not just in terms of, of what James Bond movies did for me, which which made me like a total freak for anything that having to do with secret agent stuff when I right. was a kid, and um, I think it's an incredibly influential movie. Obviously, I think every action big action movie um, uh, is like its descendant that came in its yeah. way. It, it yeah. kind of it, it kind of raised. The bar in terms of um, um, you know what what an adventure movie uh, was supposed to be the bigness of it the bigness of the crime the Goldfinger yeah. committing and, and and it's so well done um, uh, on so many levels I mean I, I think um, uh, like Doctor No and uh, From Russia with Love which came um, before. Uh, Goldfinger. Uh, I, I both, I like those films a lot too, as well, but this is the film I think when they figured out, you know, the producers, this is what a James Bond movie is. That's when they kind of settled on what a James Bond movie is. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so for better or worse, that's what they became. And then, and then everybody imitated it and, and it was like, so incredibly influential, but not just in the sixties with all of the, spy knockoffs like the flint movies and the matt helm movies um mm-hmm. but also um you know to this day the marvel movies are all the children of goldfinger they're all the children yeah. of james bond star wars yeah. is, is the children is child of james bond um, go
2: search new bond on any social media and just there's hours and hours of fighting yeah, over yeah. Right now that's happening right now
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly and um so, um, you know, so, on a personal level, that movie just like um rocked my world like so much, and I saw it like several times, yeah and, and then i I think i s- I think that was my first bond movie too, because because I think I was even too young for the mm-hmm. previous two, but then I remember they put out um uh, Dr. No and From Russia With Love uh, on a double bill, and you could go see them both at the oh, same time. God. I, think I saw that after. And then by the time Thunderball came out the next year, I was just so ready for it, you know. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, You Only yeah. Live Twice. And then I, I sort of drifted away a little bit <laughs> from from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, though, was also really good with George Lazenby. Yeah. But um, yeah. Uh, you know, but but that movie, I think, like I said, not just in terms of of how much I loved it, that it was like a very impactful movie to Hollywood, and, and hasn't changed since.
0: Yeah, one, you know, I rewatched it because um, it had been a few years uh, for for the for our talk tonight. And the two things that were really striking to me, one on and one off screen, when you're watching the movie, yeah, they they had figured it out, and they were you know, and, and it was the the formula was sort of adhering congealing whatever but there's also it's early on enough that he doesn't feel like a superhero yet like he still feels it still feels like goldfinger could fucking kill him at the end of the movie like you know it doesn't (laughs) like there's no real stakes in those movies anymore because you know it's not like you know but in in that like he's still first of all he he still feels sort of sort of human and vulnerable Uh um and also just you know it's there there is still kind of a sense that anything is possible the other thing yeah. that i that i found fascinating as i was you know getting out my bond blu-ray box set like a good middle-aged Ooh. white man Ooh. was <laughs> um you know that that the 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 box set that i have is this handsome you know sort of collector's thing that lists the year on each of them and, and like you mentioned they they were put they were banging these out like yeah, one, one of a year, year yeah which is like astonishing now when like each of these bond movies is like there's like three or four years between them Oh yeah. and it's a whole press cycle about if if whoever's playing it is going to be back and who the flavor of the month is that'll be the villain and who the flavor of the month is that'll be the girl and all you know it's just like it's such a protracted process right and they were very offhand about it it feels like yeah oh, they're like they, put eh, it
1: out and do
0: they just put one them and, out and, yeah.
1: and and um uh I think a, a big difference now is um uh you know back then uh the, the James Bond movies the Daniel Craig movies a few of which I think are very good a couple of the others I'm not not as into but um they all have c- character arcs in them like he's on some personal journey he's yes. he's, he's suffering from a trauma he he's yes. he's mourning something he has to prove himself again he's and, and the Sean Connery ones had no character arcs no. whatsoever. He, the whole appeal of it, the coolest guy in the world ha- has to save the world. That that yes. was like the whole thing. And it was all about the caper and about him uh, stopping it. And he didn't have any... They would have a little bit of that kind of thing where where M would tell him, don't make this personal, like when, when the girl... Uh, was, was yeah. turned into gold and killed. And and they, they they dip into that like a little bit, but it really wasn't a big part of the film, you know? Yes,
0: yes, I agree. Um, all right. Uh, your number two movie for 1964, what you got, Frank? Well, my number
1: two, and the only uh, reason it's not number one is because the one I picked for number one is so gigantic. Yeah. That, but this, I'll, I'll say, is a close second. Yeah, um, A Hard Day's Night.
2: Are you ready? Then brace yourself.
1: Here they are.
0: It's been a hard day
1: Which uh, really, so many, uh, so many things personally come together for me in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, first of all, it's it's just a brilliant movie, and, and it's it's a kind of thing like you were talking about the Bond movies a minute ago, it was just tossed off. They didn't put oh, any thought yeah. into it. They made it in a few months. It was to cash in
0: on, Before they um, weren't popular anymore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Before they, before the, 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 the trend would end. Yes. Um, and, and so, um, you know, and then they, they made this, this seismic film for me anyway, that, that, um, Uh, you know, not just impacted music, but kind of changed filmmaking too, because they happened to hire a genius. A genius, genius an an actual fucking
0: genius. Yeah.
1: Richard, Richard Lester, one of the, one of the great directors um, uh, of all time. And, and also the movie though, uh, Richard Lester, as you, I'm sure, you know, you know, he had worked with Spike Milligan and Peter Sellers and he came from like that whole Goon Show um, crowd, and, and and these are the people that 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 were very influential to Monty Python, and then Monty yeah. Python influenced SCTV, and then they influenced everything else and SNL and everything. So you're seeing in 1964 that comedic sensibility totally uh, um, infused in this film. Um, it really is where no
0: one expected it. Where everyone just thought it was going to no, be no. like a shitty Elvis-style knockoff. Yeah, it, jukebox it, could movie. Have,
1: it could have easily just been that, but I totally. think because they hired um, Richard Lester and, and you know the the Alan Owen, I think the screenwriter's yeah. name is did yeah. did a great wrote a, wrote a really funny script with where where nothing is at stake in the movie. You know, they just have to get to their gig. It's yep. just an excuse for them to do a bunch of songs, um, but it, it works so brilliantly. And uh, um, and the songs, of course, you know, yeah. are great. And the music was incredibly impactful. I remember coming out of the movie theater, I, 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 I was changed after I saw that. I mean, I was like like completely as if I was on, on a sugar rush or something or on speed. Mm. Like I was just... Uh, um just insane from it and 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 um so I, I it's another one of those movies on a personal level level it was impactful and on a huge societal cultural level its impact is still being felt today and richard lester um you know he was just on fire in the 60s yeah. and, and he yeah. he, he, he may not just this film but help and um the knack which i only saw recently which is brilliant mm-hmm. And Petulia, which is a brilliant movie, and The Bed Sitting Room, and, and then he did he did the three the Three Musketeers, which originally I didn't know
0: was supposed to be a Beatles movie. Oh wow! He did it in the seventies, yeah. Um, no, I you know we both reached for that for the G word. We both like separately called him a genius, but I do weirdly feel like he's he's not talked about in the sort of pantheon of great 60s directors and i don't know if that's just a byproduct of like him ending up doing superman movies or something no
1: i don't know well i think part of it is too is that he retired he's still alive but he he, he retired a long time ago like 30 years uh, ago yeah yeah and uh so he hasn't been in the in the conversation as much but but he he really deserves to be that Monty Python sensibility was already there.
2: It's interesting that you described, you know, Bobo 73 the same way, you know, that idea of like I can trace for you a very distinct line from this Mm -hmm. film and this director through these projects and how that is still impacting us now. Yeah. And Um, it's the same, you know, it's a very similar thing, but for a comedy.
1: With Lester and the people behind um, uh, A Hard Day's Night, they had an, an instinct, I think, for 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 entertaining more people than maybe robert downey senior seventy
0: three,
1: like if mama 73 had gotten like a bigger distribution i'm not sure it would have been um as big a hit but it but it is that same sensibility and and, and robert downey senior too um uh by the time he made a uh, putney swope putney swope was a big hit in its day yeah. and, and it, he 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 hit the zeitgeist at exactly the right time with that movie. People were ready for something crazy like that. They weren't quite ready yet uh, in '64. But um, uh, I, I when I when I watch Richard Lester films, I I feel like kind of his premise is you know uh, what if what if Jean-Luc Godard was entertaining? You know what I mean. I mean <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I like some of good art's work. I, some of it is entertaining, but, some of it but, uh, but uh, um, it's like just that same, like French new wave uh, com- completely new form of filmmaking type very of sensibility, fresh. Yeah. but, but very fresh, but, but, but really funny.
0: And, and, and just with an urge to, to just, to be entertaining. All right. Anybody who knows, fuck all about 1964 at the movies will not be surprised. I think by what your number one pick is, Um, but let's build up the suspense anyway, Frank, (laughs) what is your number one movie of 1964? Um, uh, Dr. Strange love. Where's my shorts? Where's the bathroom?
2: Should I get it
0: on the hotline? Doctor Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying
1: and Love the Bomb, a moving picture. Which completely goes into what you were saying before about sick humor. It's, 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 uh, but it kind of goes sicker than sick in terms of (laughs) it it really taking, and, and this was so revolutionary at the time. Now we, we have dark comedy all the time. About we have comedy about the darkest subjects. Um um but Dr. Strangelove um making a movie about the destruction of the world and making a movie about uh nuclear holocaust um uh was just really audacious on the part of uh Stanley Kubrick and and he used this as his co-writer Terry Southern who was yeah. very much at the forefront of of what humor was in the in the fifties and sixties of a of a hip kind of beat sensibility and um, and it's just I, I've seen it like I don't know thirty times or something it's just always is entertaining always makes me laugh it's Peter Sellers um, George C Scott all of the performances Sterling Hayden I mean amazing yeah. um, I, it it's it just as someone who ended up Uh, having a career in comedy I mean it 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 is as influential as anything and I think I'm not alone in that it's as influential as anything on my mind uh in terms of what I pursued and tried to do as any other uh I would maybe put like uh the Marx Brothers duck soup you know as as a companion because because that's also like a war satire yeah um yeah but um uh And it really kind of, you know, when I saw it, it it really, you know, uh, up until then, I mean, you know, when I was seven years old, I very uh, authoritatively told everybody that I met that uh, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World was the funniest movie ever made, you know, bar none. Um, I was very, uh, you know, uh, firm about that. But um, and, you know, and, and I loved like, uh, I love Jerry Lewis movies and I love The Three Stooges, all of which I still love, you know. Sure. But, but Doctor love kind of like set me in a whole other direction. No, it rewires
0: of, your brain. Yeah, and, you know?
1: re, yeah, exactly. It rewired my brain in terms of what was possible for comedy and, and, and what I thought was, was funny, you know. So then by the time the producers came along a few years later, like I was all ready for that and, yeah. and any other kind of, um, uh, Dark uh, sensibility, like Michael O'Donoghue at the National Lampoon, you know that 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 stuff was just very influential for me, and, and I think it all came from yeah. uh, from from Doctor Strange Love.
0: Yeah, big time. You know, I, I rewatched this as well just because I, I will never miss an opportunity to rewatch right. Doctor Strange Love, and the the things that really struck me analytically about it, for lack of a better word is that number one like i we we the the mystique of kubrick has has become so sort of overpowering that it's easy to forget even though he directed one of the great comedies what a crackerjack comic filmmaker he is just like formally this movie is astonishing as a Ooh. comedy like yeah it, yeah it, it, It's tight as a fucking drum. It's like 94 minutes. Um, Every single scene like hits and moves and goes. Um, It's
2: also still very relevant. You could make a super cut. Oh God. Of any administration that has come along since then. Yeah. Yeah. um, Bouncing back and forth between their movie and, you know, Mm -hmm. between this movie and their stupid press conferences, anyone talking about any war yes you know, and like yes. and it remains relevant still now you could still make that joke and it would work
1: Yeah. well i think i think i think kubrick you know had uh, you know i think he was very in he was someone always very in tune with with what was happening culturally you know mm-hmm. and so i think unlike you know say another like filmmaker who who happened to direct spartacus you know he like he knew who terry southern was like he knew yeah. Uh, he knew, P- uh, P- he knew, probably knew the goon show and knew, knew Peter Sellers work and, 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 and understood that sensibility. And, um, uh, cause you know, Lolita also has some very, fu- yeah. is very funny in parts too. And his other movies, uh, ha- have moments of comedy in them. Oh, God, um, Barry
0: Lyndon is... is. We were talking about yeah. Barry Lyndon on a show recently. It's very uh, funny for, yeah. for as sort of stayed and, and, and you know, uh, period as it right. seems. It's, it's got a real... But, but he theory. could
1: be... I mean, I think uh, part of his genius is his versatility because he, yeah. he made a great heist caper film, The Killing, which yep. is one of my favorites. And then he makes... I was going to say the ultimate anti-war movie, Paths of Glory, but maybe... Dr. Strangelove is the is the ultimate anti-war movie and then and then Full Metal Jacket, too, you know. So, yeah, um, uh, yeah, he's he's just, uh, you know, he's just so great. Although, like I said, like Richard Lester, like you said, is not talked about. He's he's in Kubrick's class in terms of a great influential director.
0: Yeah. And then I was just going to say before we, we close out the other thing that was very striking to me this time that, uh, you know, again, aware of, but not not really thinking about was that, like, you've got Peter Sellers, who's who's doing the three roles brilliantly um, mm-hmm. and is obviously a comic performer. And the only like I, I cringe when I imagine like. You know, I, the the trailer for this was this like great avant-garde Pablo Ferro sort of weird thing, and like if this movie came out now, I'd be like Peter Sellers, Peter Sellers, yeah, and right. Peter Sellers <laughs> is exactly. you know or whatever. But um, but that he's the only sort of overtly comic performer in a Ooh. leading role in that. That he's got like serious dudes like Sterling Hayden and George C. Scott. Yeah, yo, oh, yeah. Playing it absolutely straight well, well, uh, this... well i would say
1: though that the george c scott's performance is pretty broad um uh
0: <laughs> that's okay and, and I, 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 and I i said and that I,
1: and, <laughs> and, and i i i love i love his performance and i have heard that um that that george c scott was really pissed because he did like more straightforward uh-huh. um, takes and Kubrick like tricked him and he said okay let's just do one for for a goofy <laughs> for one fun. For fun. And then it's that's like a wedding the photographer, <laughs> always, and that's the one he always used, yeah. you know. Which, oh, which, that's great. which, George C. Scott was not, uh, but, but I think you're right about all the other, and, and even, um, uh, Peter Sellers' performances as, uh, group captain mandrake and, and, right. and the president, who's like the ultimate middle of the road, God, like, milk God. Toast guy. the phone uh, he, scenes he plays, are just. He plays them very straight, but then he plays Dr. Strangelove in the broadest terms possible, you know, and it, and it all, it all works brilliantly, you know?
0: Yeah. All right, Frank, you've made quite a compelling case for the greatness of 1964. So thank you for this, for this top five list. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Mike so we can find out what films were winning trophies and making money. Here's awards and boxes. Sell out with me. Oh yeah. Sell out.
2: All right, let's start with the Oscars. This is a All really right. fascinating list to me because, again, of the way we usually think about this decade and how yeah. sort of, you know, when we look back on it now, how sort of obvious it was. Right. What right. needed to happen to save the <laughs> multiplex, right? right? But when you look at this top 10 list, it's like, you know, these guys weren't as, as like sort of out of touch as we often think of them now, right?
0: Right, right, um, right.
2: But uh, Oscar, My Fair Lady, Best Picture, Best Director for George Cukor, Best Actor for Rex Harrison, won all these same prizes at the Golden Globes for Comedy Musical, My Fair Lady, big big picture yeah. sixty four,
1: yeah yeah, and and I I'm not that crazy about it personally me neither, but, um, me neither. and well, I, no. like, I like I like I like musicals and and. Um, I think Mary Poppins was much better. And uh, and I'm glad that George Cukor finally got an Oscar because he's, he's that's right. great. He but, great. Um, but but I I watched it one time all the way through, and that's the only time that's ever going to happen. Max Satchers <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at the Oscars
2: and also at the Golden Globes for Comedy Musical went to Julie Andrews for Mary Poppins.
1: Ironic because she yes. was... Yes. in the in the broadway production of uh my fair lady and yes. uh, jack jack warner said she's, she's not a big enough star they put in audrey Hepburn and 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 dubbed her voice and and then julie andrews won the oscar a very it's, fitting fitting uh, ending to that story
0: that's just it's so delicious yeah. it's one of my yeah. favorite like you know uh, sort of quiet revenge stories in all of hollywood history little. yeah
2: Best supporting actor went to Peter Ustinov for Top copy.
0: Yep. Yeah
1: he, and never it's never a bad idea to give Peter Ustinov an award. Nope absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Best supporting actress went to Lila Kadrova for Zorba the Greek.
0: Zorba the Greek's a good movie. I like, yeah. I like some Zorba the Greek mm-hmm.
2: Best foreign language film went to yesterday, today and tomorrow.
0: Oh, oh Marcello
1: Mono. Right. Yeah. I don't oh, think Sophia. Seen, I, oh. I, I don't think I've seen seen that one, but
0: Woo, that's Sophia Loren like mm. at her Sophia Lorenist. Like holy <laughs> mackerel. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh other
2: significant award winners, best picture, best actor to Peter O'Toole at the Golden Globes for a drama went to Beckett.
1: Which I well, still I've never seen. It's a good movie. I've seen yeah. Beckett. It's uh, I think it's it's on Criterion right now. I'm oh, not okay. sure. But um, it's it's really good. A, re- a good companion to um, A Man for All Seasons. Kind of oh, a similar, okay. similar kind of vibe of crazy old religious British people.
0: Yay! It's a good <laughs>
1: subgenre. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Best Actress uh, went to Anne Bancroft at the Golden Globes for a drama for The Pumpkin Eater. Ooh. A film
0: I've never seen, but again, I'm, I'm all in favor of giving Anne Bancroft any award you can give her. So.
1: I, I agree. And um, they're remaking it now and calling it the Pumpkin Spice Eater just to... Hey! <laughs> Boo!
2: <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Best Supporting Actor went to Edmund O'Brien at the Globes for Seven Days in May. Oh, Oh, Seven Days
1: in May is so fucking good. I love me some Seven Days in May. And don't forget, Eddie O'Brien is the one who told Rick Dalton in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to buy a house in Hollywood so people know that you live there. Yes! I forgot about that! That's
2: perfect! Best Supporting Actress at the Golden Globes went to Agnes Moorhead for Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte.
1: Yeah, that's... That's you got to give her any time you can give Agnes Moorhead an award. Yeah. To me, she's getting that award because they didn't give it to her for The Magnificent Ambersons, but she should have gotten,
2: gotten an Oscar,
0: Oscar for that. I agree. 100%. Uh, the
2: d'Or can went to Jacques Demise, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Oh, fuck yes.
1: Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's that. the and kind I even, of passion. I, I, I even love his follow-up, uh, The Young Girls of Roquefort, Even Yes. That.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I love yeah.
1: Love uh, and Michelle Legrand rules as far as I'm yes. concerned.
0: Yes,
2: agreed. Mm-hmm. Big love for Umbrellas of Shareboard. Oh yeah. Yes. The Golden Lion at Venice went to Antonioni's Red De- the Red Desert.
1: I I um that was a homework assignment I watched one time. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. yeah, his movies are like homework. I mean I'm not saying I don't want to disparage him. It's in that category for it's me fine. where you're it's watching fine. it is it's like homework.
0: Yep. yep. Yep,
1: And
2: uh, the New York Film Critics Circle Award for Best Film went to My Fair Lady. That seems like a, oh, that's, kind of a light choice for them. It no? is. Well, it is. I
1: think that was the New York Film Critics um, before, like that was like the Bosley Crowther. Yes, it was. Of, You're right. Yeah. Of yeah. Respectable. That was before the Andrew Saris's and the Pauline Kales and right. the um, Vincent Canbys who were hip to what yes. was going on. Uh, came yes. along you
0: know fair fair good analysis all right what what uh what was the box office looking like that year mike let's bang through it
2: well it's just all beatles movies just like the uh, just <laughs> oh like God. on the on it's the just radio like the record charts <laughs> number 10 was a hard day's night
0: yep yep
2: good good start good, good. good start uh number nine was the pink panther in okay March.
0: Oh. now here's this this still blows my mind i just want to put just remember for a few thoughts the pink panther was released in march of 1964 okay carry on also i i wanted
1: uh, to just tie in the whole uh peter ustinov thread oh Not yeah that there, there was one go. is that he was supposed to play inspector Clouseau? holy and, shit and he left the film and then they uh peter sellers changed history by, by playing it and then and then and then uh peter ustinov sued them afterwards but but holy lost, shit. yeah
0: yeah Oh my God.
2: <laughs> and they were like, you, you broke up with me. What the fuck are we even doing exactly, here?
1: Exactly. <laughs> oh
2: God. Uh, okay. So Pink Panther was March and yep. uh, number eight was the unsinkable Molly Brown.
1: Yep. Un- unwatchable. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: The unwatchable Molly Brown. Yes. They remade
1: remade that and called it Titanic. I don't
0: know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Number seven was Way to Go with an exclamation point. Oh, sorry. What a way to go. And yeah. not a lot of titles come with an
0: exclamation point. I
1: don't think I... What a Way to Go is like an all-star, but I, I don't think I've ever seen it.
0: Yeah. Always something a little sweaty and desperate about the exclamation mark at the end of the title yeah. for me. For me. All right. And then?
1: Number six
2: on the top 10, A Shot in the Dark. Okay. Which came out in June. June. Oh,
0: that's interesting. The Pink wow, Panther sequel came out, like not only in the same year, but it came out like three months <laughs> after amazing. the same I, I,
1: I never knew that. That's that's insane. It's amazing. That, but and also,
0: uh, a, a
1: shot in the dark is an adaptation of a Broadway right. play that that wasn't, and then and they just turned it into an Inspector yep. Clouseau movie. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. No, for, for I, I was I read up on this after I found this the, the, this really close uh, closer relationship with these release dates, and apparently, uh, Peter Sellers had been cast and was just going to play it the way it was on the play, and then he... he uh parted company with the director as he was known to do Mm -hmm. fairly frequently but he had just finished the pink panther and like at that point he had a good relationship with blake edwards so he so he, he he pleaded with the studio to bring in blake edwards and blake edwards said well you know what we just came up with this great character this inspector clouseau thing let's just change this into an inspector clouseau movie right right and luckily the pink panther was a hit so when the sequel came out three months later it made even more money than the Pink Panther did, which is just like sort of sort of mind blowing. Number one, that that he was in both of those in the same year. But then it's the same year as Dr. Strangelove. Exactly. Like, exactly. Imagine having a 1964 <laughs> like Peter Sellers had. I know.
1: I know. Amazing.
0: Yeah.
2: I'm going to say he probably got late. Uh, <laughs> number five uh, from Russia with Love. I guess oh.
0: that was the re-release apparently.
1: Yeah. Still yeah. hanging in there. Number four was the Carpetbaggers. Oh my god, trashy movie that's watchable and fun, but trashy. There you go, trashy as fuck. There we go. Uh, Number three, the
2: aforementioned Goldfinger. Very good. Again, like two Bond movies in the same. You know. Mm -hmm. um, Number two, My Fair Lady with thirty million dollars.
0: And. Number one. When
2: movies were like 75 cents or something, right? Yep, yep. Uh yep. and number one was Mary Poppins with thirty-one million dollars.
0: Thirty-one million. One last little victory for our girl Julie Andrews. Yay, <laughs> one million dollar edge off so the did, movie that she couldn't get cast in. So so Doctor Strangelove
1: is not in the top ten. Or maybe it came out late in the year. and, and Yeah, probably it could very well. Yeah. Yes, it
0: very well could have been something like that. Yes, yes. I
2: just, you know, we always hear about New Hollywood and sort of, you know, the way we hear about it later, it just seems like it was so obvious that, yeah. you know, that was what America wanted and that Ooh. was what needed to happen. But when you look at Unsinkable Molly Brown, Hard Day's Night, My Fair Lady, Mary Poppins, like it's not that they're bad movies, but they are the kind of movies that, You know, when we read about them four or five years later, it seemed so obvious that nobody wanted to see these
1: movies, right? (laughs) But
2: actually, like two or three musicals tanked, and and I mean, like big, 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 you know, big budget things, right? But it wasn't like there was just years and years and years. Well, a year
1: a year later, nineteen sixty five, a sound of the Sound of Music came out, yeah, and and that was like the Star Wars, literally the Star Wars at this time. Blockbuster beyond what anyone had ever imagined. And then that led them to making all of these big budget musicals in the late 60s that, com- that most of which completely tanked and lost the yep. studios a ton of money. Because I think with, like unlike Star Wars, Star Wars was the beginning of something, but they didn't realize that the sound of music was the end of something. It was yeah. the final... Well said. Uh, Fi- final, like, film of the Rodgers and Hammerstein era. Yep. Um, and uh, and then you know, one year later, two years later, nobody was interested in that anymore. Yep. You know,
2: yeah, it just like it always seems sort of to me, like, uh, the older I get, the more the less I'm sort of like, yeah, you fucking idiots, like, you should have seen you. How could you not know that was right? But when you've got My Fair Lady Mary Poppins topping the box office one year and then Sound of Music the next year. Okay, I can see why they were just like a couple years behind the curve on Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Big time. Yeah. Big time. And then when it, when it when it came along with Bonnie and Clyde and Easy Rider, like it took them all by complete surprise when yep. those films were gigantic hits, you know. Yep.
0: All right, Frank, you ready to do a lightning round? Uh sure. All right. We're going to put five minutes on the big clock. I got a good list here. You, you're you you're right, man. 64, they were kind of killing it. Um, a good list here, I'm going to say before we start the clock, with a lot of double headers. Uh, again, like Peter Sellers and his Pink Panther movies, like the James Bond situation, a lot of great filmmakers making two really good movies uh, within the same year. So we're going to hear about some of those. All right, Mike, can you give me five minutes on the big clock? And here we go. Peter Sellers Returns in the World of Henry Orient, also Great. out in 1964. Great movie. I just watched that not too long ago.
1: And But the thing about that movie, remember, it's not a Peter Sellers movie, really. It's, no. It's really about the, the friendship of the two girls. Peter Sellers has a funny supporting yep. role in it, but I think yep. he has top billing, so... It, so as long just get past the fact that it's not really a Peter Sellers movie and it, it's really good <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> also delightful. any any movie with Paul Apprentice in it is worth
0: it. yes automatic yeah. uh Alfred Hitchcock's Marnie
1: oh that was another homework assignment
0: um. <laughs> <laughs> from the aforementioned Jean-Luc Godard Ben Dupart aka Band of Outsiders was released in 1964
1: oh, okay that's cool I, I don't think I've, that's one of the ones I haven't seen. Have oh,
0: that's one of the good ones. All right. Yeah. Uh, also, the great Sam Fuller put out two pictures that year. Uh, Shock Corridor and The Naked Kiss. Thoughts on those?
1: Yeah. Well, I've, I've seen them both. Um, Shock Corridor. If they had wanted to be commercial, they would have named that movie Nympho Ward. Yes thing in the in the institution called the nympho ward which is like yeah. an amazing yeah. thing. I don't know why they didn't call it nympho ward.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh John Frankenheimer released two absolute bangers. Uh the aforementioned 7 Days in May and also The Train with Burt Lancaster. Yeah,
1: both great. Both really good. He he was the shit, John Frankenheimer.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh also the shit, Sidney Lumet, who in 1964 yes. released both fail-safe and the pawnbroker
1: wow and you know what I, I forgot to mention fail-safe when we talked yeah. about um dr strange love because it was the serious version right um and and uh dr strange love kind of stole its thunder but fail-safe is fucking great and it's it and, is. and and, and uh, uh when people ask me like when you were a kid what was what was the scariest movie you ever saw, and they think I'm going to say some horror film, and I always say Fail Safe because that was yeah. the height <laughs> height of the Cold War, and that movie scared the shit out of me because that it was so bleak. real. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but really well done and great, you know.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Don Knotts in the Incredible Mister Limpet was oh, released in 1964.
1: God bless God blessed Don Knotts. I love I love him, and the only thing that, uh, bad about that is that it meant he left the Andy Griffith Show, but. That's the that's only true. negative thing I can say about it.
0: You mentioned him earlier. We had two films in 1964 directed by and starring Jerry Lewis, the Patsy and the Disorderly Orderly. He was still good back then. Jerry Lewis
1: still, yes, he was. still, still getting some, uh, some mileage and stuff, you know? Yeah. Still uh wasn't the ego hadn't completely taken over yet.
0: Right. <laughs> Three Elvis movies in 1964, Frank Conniff, Viva uh, Las Vegas, Kissin' Cousins and Roustabout all came yeah. out in the calendar year.
1: Um the the only the, Viva Las Vegas might be the only like halfway decent Elvis musical of the 60s, you know. I mean Elvis yep. made some good movies at the beginning of his career yep. and then when the the Colonel just wouldn't let him do anything but yep. this this Money make, money grabbing stuff. And, uh, but, but Vio Las Vegas has good songs, good numbers, and, and he, he meets his match in Ann Margaret, which is why it, it stands out from the rest of
0: them. 100%. You know what else Anne Margaret was in in 1964, Frank? Little, what? little, little bit of magic called Kitten with a Whip. Ooh, I've seen that one. Yes. <laughs> a few times, in fact. Yes. You know what else came out in 1964, Frank? Santa Claus Conquers the Martians yes, was released. And Matthew that's another century. one that I
1: saw when it came out. And I actually talk about it in one of my books, how I saw that in the theater and I have I had no memory of it. Afterwards.
0: <laughs> Imagine that. Um, uh, I, won't, I, won't go too, I won't go much further with the bit. Uh, I did list here that also released that year were the Starfighters, the Creeping Terror, the Human Duplicators, the Atomic Brain, and Hercules Against the Moon Men, wow. all of which... All of which you watched uh, during your your tenure at MSD3. I did.
1: 1964, on top of everything else, was a great year for shit. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, the next batch are ones that they covered after you left the show. So I do want Uh, to hit you with these and uh, see if you've you've heard them and if you have thoughts on them. First of all, The Incredibly Strange People Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed Up Zombies came out in 64.
1: Right, right. There's Ray Dennis Steckler, right? Yes, sir. That one, Yeah. But I wasn't, I wasn't there. So don't blame that one on me.
2: <laughs> that movie is offensively straight faced and has not nearly enough zombies in it. That's my <laughs> capsule review of that fucking movie.
0: Also released in 1964, the horror of party beach.
1: Oh, okay. I've never, no, I've never seen that one. Uh, that, uh, wow. They did that afterwards, I guess. Yep. I yep.
0: It. Yep. All right. Um, I got to wrap up cause we are almost out. Um, in general, <laughs> Muscle Beach Party, Bikini Beach, and Pajama Party all released in 1964. Just any general thoughts on on the beach party movie craze? Um,
1: you know what, the, uh, American International, uh, they were churning them out, and they're they're not that great. But they they put like people like Buster Keaton and Don Rickles and and Harvey Lembeck, and uh, and and nothing wrong with Annette Funicello either. I have to say so. God bless the beach movies is what I say.
0: There we go. Thank. I can't think of a better way to end a lightning round. Thank you for that, Frank. Um, and with that, we're going to, we're going to wrap up. Um, tell us what uh, th- those who, who know you and love you as TVs, Frank, uh, and, and maybe have lost track. Tell everyone about the Mads are back, which as I understand it is sort of your, your, your current primary uh, activity.
1: Uh, the Mads Are Back is a monthly show that uh, we do as a lot online live streaming show where Trace and I uh, riff a movie, um, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 style. And um, we, we do the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, you can go to com or dumbindustries.com um, and find out. Our next is on Valentine's Day,
0: Aww. Tuesday.
1: Um, Tuesday uh February 14th and it's a uh and I'm very excited because it it is a James Bond spy knockoff Yay. uh called Dimension 5 starring uh Jeffrey Hunter who some people might remember as Captain Pike from uh, a few other people might remember him from the searchers and the, a few of the really good movies he was in um yep. so um that's going to be a fun one so and that's 10 dollars 10 and uh you can go to those sites for all the info about them and you can watch them live or you can download them and watch them later.
0: Yeah. I, I'm just here to say the Mads are back is just, is, is such a good time. The, the relationship and the timing uh, that you and trace have cultivated over all of this time is just like, it's such a treat to to still get to hear it and enjoy it. And I mentioned this the last time we talked, but I also, <laughs> I, I went to a live show of the Mads are back um, I want to say the night that they canceled basketball and we found out Tom Hanks had COVID. Like, I I came home to that news. That was the last
1: night before the pandemic started. That was yes. uh, um, before everything got locked down. Uh, yeah. Uh, and there were the, even a
0: couple of really good sort of pre pandemic jokes that you guys had, had thrown in that <laughs> no, night on the fly. It was uh, the last good time I had in 2020. It so was like the, that
1: was it. Uh, then, and uh, it was at the Alamo, right? In, yep. Uh, Alamo in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and we haven't done a live show since, but maybe we'll start doing them again soon. We're, we're both. And I, uh, Trace and I, um, we haven't, paid attention to the CDC's um, an, an announcement that, that it's okay now to pretend, to
0: pretend the pandemic's over. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well uh, either, either way that you, it, whether you do that or, or, or the online continues indefinitely. Uh, if you like Frank and if you like MST, check out the Mads are back because it's, it's really quite a bit of fun. Frank, where Thank can you. people uh, follow you and keep up with you on um, the social medias?
1: I can be found on the um, the few uh, social um, social media outlets that I haven't been banned from are Twitter, <laughs> where I can be found at, at Frank Conniff, and then on Instagram at uh, uh, F. I think it's at, at F Coniff on Instagram, and, um, uh, and 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 that's where you can find me. I. I, I can't find me on TikTok yet. I am. Uh, I watch TikTok all the. I love TikTok, but I haven't made. <laughs> I haven't made any content for it yet.
0: Fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, hey, listeners. Do you enjoy uh, a very good year? The the podcast you're listening to right now. Here's a little something you can do for us. Uh, you can rate and review, uh, and enjoy. Uh, telling other people about it. You can. You can really. You can be a critic yourself, and tell folks to listen or not listen to a very good year but either way please do that on your your podcatcher of choice all right and uh you can follow us uh online you can follow me on twitter where i'm at jason dash bailey or on instagram at fun city cinema mike where can the people follow you i'm on twitter at brainwashed lib and mike before we go what is your favorite movie of 1964
2: soy cuba buddy <laughs> Soy Cuba. I mean, it's it's like, you know, some Russian dudes went to Cuba not too long after Fidel and them took over and just pulled out every fucking trick that they had in their bag, you know, and it's not perfect, um, but I just, it's a really wonderful movie. It's such an, it's, I don't know, man, the first time I saw it, just sort of like got caught in it immediately and... And, you know, after you've seen it a couple of times, you can then go back just like listening to a Barry White record, you know, <laughs> from 1978. And you can go back and recognize how many times Soy Cube has been sampled. Yep. Um, and all the different shots that are in that movie that that you've seen recreated in, in, in your, your favorite, favorite movie, movie since. Yeah. 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 yeah, yep, yeah. Exactly. Wonderful movie. How about you, buddy?
0: You know the easy answer is a hard day's night because I probably have watched it like. The more easy than... answer is
2: fistful of dollars. But if you're going <laughs> no, but... no no no
0: that's 64 is an Italian release date. We bleed red, white, and blue. We go by American release dates on this program, <laughs> and we'll talk about that when that year comes. Uh, the answer I'm gonna go with is the Tammy Show, which is just oh, like great. an yeah. incredible concert documentary with like. James Brown and the Rolling Stones and Marvin Gaye and the Beach Boys and all of these, like, just killer, like, it's all killer, uh, uh, no filler. And also, famously, you see... The Rolling Stones kind of eat shit because they didn't know not to follow James Brown. Like watching them <laughs> trying to get that crowd back and not really pulling it off mm-hmm. is a beautiful little on-screen drama. In addition to the fact that the music is all incredible and the dancers are all hot, and Terry Gar is one of them. Okay, wow. uh, thank you again, Frank Conniff. Thank you.
1: This is a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And
0: thank you for listening. It was a very good year.